Hey, just before this podcast kicks off, I need to let you know that it is Nas Hussein, not Nas Hussein. Nas and I actually were internet friends for the longest time, and I didn't really know how to say his name until after this conversation. Anyway, here it comes. It's the Almost Perfect Podcast with Nas Hussein. The Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're going to be learning from Nas Hussein. Now, Nas is a cartoonist and writer. Uh, he writes many different things, film scripts, uh, articles online. I've read some of his satire work back in the day. I think. Yes, I did. Uh, he writes comics as well. Um, and he also draws cartoons that you can check out on his Instagram and various other places. Um, he's been involved in Sector, which is a really cool local comic. Um, multiple stories within the comic and stuff. And so he's contributed to that. And he's actually working on a really cool project at the moment that we got into but isn't in the podcast because I am a rookie. And you're going to hear. So towards the end of this podcast, it goes like... Yo, I'm going to come back just now. Can we you know, carry on with this? And I'm like, yeah. But then when he came back and we recorded, it didn't record properly. So we don't have that part of the conversation, unfortunately. But what we do have is, wow, um, just conversations about Skynet, um, about <laughs> just neuroses, about reptilian brains, about Batman, about the killing joke, about Watchmen, about so many different things. It's really... This one goes all over the show, and it's a really in-depth and like interesting conversation. I mean, I've listened to it a few times back now, and each time I'm like, damn, this guy's like got some cool ideas. So I think you might feel the same way. I think you're going to be pretty entertained with this one and might, you know, learn new things, might come across new ideas that you might not have had before, or, you know, you might just enjoy two people kicking about the idea of, you know, the end of the world. Um, and other things, and other things. There's lots of other things that go on in this podcast. Nice is, yeah, like, as I said, quite a smart dude. Um, and we bounce some pretty big ideas across the table with this one. So, like, yeah, it's a bit of a weird, almost perfect in that we don't really get into, well, we do get into who he is and some of his upbringing, but it's more just a discussion of ideas than a discussion of who he is, although. It's impossible for Nas to not let you know who he is. It bleeds through him um, when he talks. So you will get a very good idea of who Nas is. And yeah, you'll get a very cool conversation about some pretty interesting topics, I think. So if you enjoy this one, which you will, go to Facebook.com and uh, like us. Uh, that would be the Almost Perfect Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Yes, we are on Twitter now. Almost underscore podcast. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do that. That's almost perfect, Bob. Um, I might eventually do uh, Instagram for this. I don't know if it's necessary, but we'll see. And yeah, other than that, you can also like us, not like us. You can become a patron. You can subscribe on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect, uh, where, yeah, we give you a little bit extra. So obviously, this podcast is coming in your ears for free. <laughs> coming in your ears. That was not on purpose, but since I said it, I'm going to point it out. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> might be. Anyway, so yeah, we've got a cool vibe on Patreon where you can actually suggest guests. You can also ask guests questions. No one's done that yet, but hopefully soon. Um, and you can also ask me questions. You could, it's a bit of like a, you got to pay to interact a little bit more. You know, you got to pay for my time. But it is a cool section where 
if you do want to chip in a little bit, if you do dig the podcast enough that you want to contribute to it, then yeah, you can. And I'm going to be giving away some stuff on there. I'm going to be giving away a case of Poison City's Durban Poison um, once we get to 10 subscribers. So we're currently at six at the moment. So I just need four more of you. You can even just chip in a dollar and you might get that case of Poison City Brewing beers um obviously we're doing this so that i can improve this podcast i want to hire someone to become the editor and then it wouldn't be late like it is today i could just send stuff to them they could get it done and make it sound way better than it sounds at the moment uh so yeah if you want like the podcast and you want to contribute to it that's what you can do you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect um where actually i'm gonna give some shout outs quickly so siaran i might have messed your name up there but siaran slemon from Cape Town, he's actually Parable, the, uh, the producer, and he chipped in a little bit at the moment. He's a, a pledge now, and he did so because he wanted to suggest some guests. So when I go to Cape Town, there's a special guest I'm going to be chatting to just for him. Uh, also, shout out to Gareth Morris Hale. He's been a subscriber since the beginning. Thanks, bro. Really appreciate it. And he suggested Avon Wolf recently, so go check that episode out. It was a really cool one. Also, shout outs to Matthew Cuth- Cuthbert, who's just a new subscriber. And we've also got Raj Short also shout outs i have shouted you out before but shout outs again man thank you very much also new subscriber vashendra naidu thank you very very much bro i really appreciate it and shout outs to scrony dance i'm no longer a subscriber but i still appreciate the three dollars you chipped in bro um i haven't actually collected any of the money yet i'm keeping it in the patreon at the moment and once it gets to a reasonable amount and stuff i'll be able to hire someone to edit and make the sound kiff and then yeah we'll have a producer this will start becoming a bit more of a little bit of a professional thing i'm also moving next month i'm going to be setting up a studio in my new place and hopefully i'll be able to make these a lot better a lot quicker and just as time goes on you know improve the thing so if you want to chip in for that please do at patreon.com but if you don't want to all you have to do is just listen to this thing man and anything else you do on top of that if you go click five stars on instagram or you just hit the subscribe button or you leave a comment on facebook or you retweet it on twitter or you anything any sort of interaction is dope thank you very much i really appreciate it this podcast has grown so much in the last month and I just, yeah, I'm really feeling super grateful. So thank you so much for everything you guys have given me so far. And I hope you enjoy this super dope conversation with Nas Husson. And so, yeah, and you were saying like, you know, you've got a loud voice, but it's weird because I would look at you and assume you're a quiet guy, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am a quiet guy, but I'm not a quiet guy in the way that people, I guess, expect. Right, like I talk a lot and I'm loud and stuff, um, because that's in me. But, but, I, do, but like I'm also a person who sits in the quiet and like for example when I draw, that's a, a silent time for me. I mean, I might be listening to music, but obviously I am. I'm gone. Like you, you I'm not there. It, is that one of the things you love about you know being a, like a cartoonist and getting to draw and stuff? Is that you get to spend that time in your own head, like, but like on the one thing that you're doing at that time, like it's time to focus and it lets the rest of the world disappear? Um, I don't know if I've ever thought about it that consciously. Um, I think for me, I, I, like the world is always coming at me, right? Somebody asked me this one time and before that I'd never ever thought about it. My understanding of how people were um, was that like we are all basically the same like on the on the, the, the hardware um, and, and therefore we're all pretty much the same on the software right? that was me growing up like I always struggled um, 
you know with the idea of like do they have the same experience as me are yeah. we like you know are we the same like why are like why are we not connecting here yes, you know yes, because yes. like exactly. well, aren't we the same like well and i would go like oh all of my, my my theory in my early 20s the way i approached everything was like if i give them the right nudge right like they'll get what i'm talking about because they know the experience because they ha- are having the experience and in my in my later 20s um what was funny was so i'm sitting with somebody who i was very close to at the time and she asked me, she says, uh, you know, we're just sitting in her apartment in town on a couch. And she goes, what's it like in your head? And no one had ever asked me. So I know I had to think <laughs> about this. And ans- I- I'm very into answering honestly, right? And okay. like, especially in that relationship. Well, that's going to be good for this so. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And so I sit down and I go, look, the way it is for me, and I don't think this is special when I say this, right? I go like, um, the way it is for me is... Every single thing that's happening right now is something that I'm aware of. So I said that when you move your toe a little bit on the couch, I notice it. When like a car goes by outside the window, I kind of catch a glimpse of it and I can hear it. And I can hear those guys talking outside and I can kind of see the wind pick up. And so I can what sort of neurosis is this? <laughs> I don't know, right? But, but I, I said to her, like, basically, I'm picking up on all these little things and what my mind wants to do is it wants to latch onto each of them and follow that down a story, down its little path, to its end, to its conclusion. Um, which you can even, uh, if there is even such a thing, who knows, right? I was going to say, that makes sense that you then become a storyteller from that. Right, yeah. right. Uh, I, so I want to find its conclusion, right? And I said, so what I have to do is to sit with you and, and, and talk with you and engage with you. I really, really have to focus on you a lot. Because like it's it, and it's not like an effort like oh my god what a strain it's just an effort in the sense of like I I really really want to focus on you because my mind is picking up on all these other things so when I I said that to her she looked at me she laughed and she went that sounds like a lot <laughs> and I realized for the first time probably in my life this was like four years ago that they, like she wasn't going through the same thing and other people weren't yeah, like experiencing like the same thing her anxiety was different to my anxiety and my anxiety came from this this experience that I thought was everybody's I mean that seems a more like closer to paranoia than anxiety but like <laughs> I mean the two are interrelated they are because I mean I'm more on the paranoid spectrum like right. myself so yeah like I I'm aware of everything as well, but like I internalize it a lot more. It's more like how it relates to me. Well, I think I used to go for therapy. Uh, <laughs> and my therapist said to me once, she said, you have very healthy coping mechanisms considering the, I th- don't think she used the word trauma, but essentially the trauma that you've undergone as, like, through life, right? Um, and not to say that like it's always terrible things that have happened to me, although I've had difficult things happen to me, but um, I, I got it. It was like somebody going like, hey, Look, oh, we're getting some coffee. Yeah, we um, are. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's fine. We'll switch it on. Don't worry. It's like knowing that there was this difficulty at all for me was something that I had never acknowledged, right? I just assumed again that the difficulty was universal. So when I was told this, when I was told that you have healthy coping mechanisms, that thing that I told you about where I'm trying to follow the story to its end point of the thing, of the wind picking up, of the toe moving, that is my coping mechanism for what is a, a sort of immense anxiety um i just didn't know that i just thought everybody was doing it (laughs) i mean we do all have our coping mechanisms but we do also do just have completely different ways that the world fucks us up i guess you know like we've got our own neuroses and like that is one of the hardest parts i think about growing up is accepting that about yourself and other people i mean i assume but that's also the thing like that i struggle with is like i assume everyone's got mental health issues (laughs) like i don't understand this concept of people not 
like you know like i I don't think there's a normality i don't think that like i think everyone does have some sort of thing that you know drives them that's abnormal in a way like but then yeah you know mental illness is a different thing than that like a friend explained it to me i don't know where he heard this from if it was a therapist or if he read it or whatever but but it makes a lot of sense imagine every human being is having like a an infinite number of switches. Oh, terrible coffee. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, not an infinite number of switches, sorry. Like a limited number of switches that, that are in our body. Every single person. And we all have, let's say it's a thousand. We all have a thousand switches. But the combinations that they are not different depending on the person. Every yep. single person. So there's infinite combinations of these thousand switches or whatever it is. Or maybe it's infinite switches. I don't fucking know math. Right? <laughs> but like, let's say it's infinite combinations of switches and no two people have the identical combination, we all have our own neuroses and we all have our own origins for our neuroses. What I am interested in the, as, per, as a person is always they are things that are similar. They are human experiences. There are ways in which we communicate when I tell a story, for example, where somebody looks at it and they get something out of it that is theirs, right? Yeah. From something that was mine. And that is what we're kind of doing as human beings. That's the thing I hate about art. Fuck you. This is what I mean. <laughs> like, you know. I, I wrote a story the other day. I'm, uh, I'm working on it for a project, which we'll talk about. But um, the, the idea was I'm adapting somebody else's idea for a comic. I'm doing the scripting. An artist named Kit Birkus is doing the illustration. And the, the person who wrote it is writing about the struggle of being different. So it's... it's in, in, if I just explain the plot to you, it's, it's very simple, classic sci-fi, you know, androids fighting for their humanity and fighting for their rights in the future. Classic um, sci-fi. Classic, you know what I mean, <laughs> right? Like, um, and it's set in the year 2017. Um, and I, I That's uh, not really in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, how, how far away are we from, from that, right, <laughs> from androids? So um, uh, the, the person that wrote it, they said it in 2070 and they called the story 2070. And I looked at it and something in my brain went, okay, what if it's... 20 slash 17, just to, to differentiate, right? That's the title. And then I started writing about it and thinking about it. And so I wrote the story where androids and humans, um, you know, humans are 70% water. Yes. So I wrote this thing where the androids also 70% water and the water is what contains the consciousness. Um, okay. and, and the 20% in us is the meat and the 20% in them is the, is metal. the metal. And then the 10% is the, the who knows what, right? Yeah. That's the story. Right, the story is about okay, the ten percent. Like that. That's interesting. And my thing was, you know, there's a, a moment of, of romance between a human and an android in the story, and I'm, you know, I'm spoiling my story, but fuck it, it's only six pages long. <laughs> uh, but basically, like, the the human, I mean, the human wants to help the android, and the android says, "Why?" And the human says, uh, "The people that hate us, they fixate on the twenty percent of us that's different, the meat and the metal, but the seventy percent of us, the water, is the same." Right? You know? I mean, is this an allegory for racism? <laughs> <laughs> it's an allegory for everythingism, you know? Yeah. Like, like it's an allegory for the, like just the human experience of the fact that I have these infinite switches that are different to yours, yet somehow we, I we say still it connect, to you yeah. and you get it, right? Like, you, you get what I'm saying. Because these fucking sounds that are coming, I can swear on this, right? Yes. Okay, good. Th- it literally opens with, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, I got to ask, right? But, but the, the thing about it is... Um, the, the, the overlap to 70% and it is like 70% it's, it's more than it is less you know what I mean like it, it's the bigger percentage there's this weird thing that happens where you and I can understand each other with the sounds that are coming out of our mouths that are actually just the same thing as when we were cave people going huh <laughs> right? I these mean, don't mean anything. I, but they do. <laughs> and like it, but I mean, in an abstract sense, they don't, right? But, okay, so... Actually, let's talk about the robot future. <laughs> Since we're discussing these kind of things... Do you want to... I mean, are you going to do an introduction beforehand, right? Yes, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so don't worry. I'll tell people who you are beforehand. Good, good. Jump in, jump in. But, well, because, yeah, like with these ideas and stuff, you know, us being similar and all of that, um, 
what do you think the robots and us would be able to actually relate to each other? I mean, do you think we'll ever get to that point that androids are on that level? Like, and do you think humans will carry on if robots do become sentient? Um, look, man, like predictions are, are a, a weird game, okay. right? Sure. But, but here's my take I mean, on... These are my favorite things. Like <laughs> sure, sure. But here's my take on it, right? Um, forget about androids. We, we, we tend to go for these humanoid things and we think about them and, and we, we, we're trying to humanize I mean, we're literally robots. creating those. But sure, yeah. sure. But like, let's move away from them for a second. Think about the idea of the, the internet of things, everything yeah. connecting together, all devices. Think about the fridge and think about the car. All right? So let's say your fridge is in your house. Think about Skynet. Right, yeah, yeah. But the fridge is in your house. The car is outside. The car is parked outside. They can talk to each other because of the internet. Um, now, imagine that the difference between us and, and the, the, the devices is the fridge knows what it's like to be a car because it can talk to the car. The car knows what it's like to be a fridge because it can talk to the fridge. And they have an understanding that we fundamentally shut down in ourselves. Or, like, I don't think we lack it. I think we shut it down in ourselves. They have automatic empathy through the internet. They are programmed to understand what it's like to be one another. And I mean, so but is that really empathy? Like, I guess it is. Like, on, it's, it's programmed empathy. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it real empathy? But what is real empathy? Right? Exactly. So, so let's say we, that we've programmed this thing. A car and a fridge talk to each other. But they don't just talk to each other. They don't just send... Like, they'll start out by sending the basic signals. You know? A fridge will go, I'm a fridge. Here is, it is cold. I'm keeping the temperature regulated. Whatever, right? And a car will go, I am a car. You know, I'm keeping the temperature regulated at blah, blah, blah. The base data. That's what, what it starts with. But later, later it becomes more complex. Like, yeah, because the car will be like, I went here today. And the fridge will be like, went? What's that? Except yeah, like, how because it's instantaneous. It doesn't go went question mark. It goes, oh, cool. I know what that is. Right? It's not well, like us. Because that's the thing. Like, so here's my... This is actually where we start getting into scary territory. Because, right. so you were bringing up the whole thing of cavemen, like, ah, ah, ah. Right. And we've evolved to this point that we can talk like this, and language keeps evolving. And I think language is the entire reason why us as humans exist the way we do. Mm. It's because we develop language, and language enables us to think more. Right. The more words we have, the more possible thoughts we can actually like, uh, clarify in our own minds that we can say sure. to ourselves. And complicate. Yeah, of course. But the thing is, if we don't have those words, it's impossible to really think through the entire thoughts. Like, fair, fair. Like, you, you know, like how can you think about the concepts of God right. if you don't have the language for it? Like, okay. you've got to create that language to then create the idea, essentially. You right, know, right. like, well, they've, got to, they've both got to back each other up. Sure, it's so a that, feedback loop. But yeah, so yeah, go so that's the thing. Like, I think the robots are then going to take that further. Like, I think whatever comes after us, because all we are is that, is the extension of ideas. Like, I spoke with this Alexa a little yeah. bit, is we're just one idea after the others. That's all you humanity. You spoke with an Alexa, you said? No, with Lex. Oh. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I was like, you spoke with an Alexa. What did it tell you? <laughs> no, with Lex LaFoy a little bit about this. <laughs> yeah, about that. Like, about the fact that, to me, I think that's where this is all headed. And I don't know if we're going to be a part of it. I think human uh, knowledge uh, will continue and consciousness will continue but like you say like for them that will be instantaneous they don't even need to like understand it right. like you know it'll just be innate every new thing that gets learned by the by Skynet <laughs> like yeah. will just be integrated well, and you know we don't have that like ability and that's why like I think it's scary in that like humans will be limited to <laughs> a point there's only so far we can go when Ex it comes to that except for one thing right and I'm not saying I, I I don't know if we will be here, and I don't know if I care if we'll be here, but what I am interested in is we often limit ourselves. That's like the, the ultimate limit placed on humans is the limit placed on humans by humans. That we're going to still be human. Right, <laughs> exactly. But not only that, that we're going to, like, that we're like, not or are going to be here, right? Like this, this question of like death. Always yeah. death. Always will we but be dead or will we be alive? I mean, but it's right? more like, it's not just death, it's extinction. 
but that's death, right? It's the same. It's the same concept. Death is death is personal extinction is but my underst- may, way bigger thing. My like understanding death. of it is this: humans, um, we localize everything. We don't experience the mass. The bigger the number you give us, like if you, oh, yeah. there are a million people. My brain cannot commute a mil- c- cannot compute a million. But if it's only a thousand, it's way easier for me to like. I at least out. believe it is. Yeah. Actually, not <laughs> a thousand people is c- is not. See, I've done enough events in my life that I know exactly. <laughs> I can look out and tell you how many. Like that's a thousand so people. I, I know, <laughs> I know. But w- what I'm saying is, on the on the brain level, um, the brain at some point doesn't compute the number. It just goes. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes, right? exactly. And what we ultimately do when we say that's a lot is we try to reduce in the mind automatically reduces things something we will understand right yeah. so that's why we say a million a million is just another word for one right <laughs> a million is just another word for like oh yeah it's one unit of things right and the human body when we talk about it is just one unit of things so when we talk about extinction I really do believe we're talking about death because we're just saying it's really big death but yeah. it's death right and we're, we're making it understandable to us we're going um, the wiping out of the civilization will be the same as the death of me the one we deny ourselves that knowledge we pretend we don't know that you see like I, but i disagree though because the death of me <laughs> like is irrelevant to me like like i don't care about that but like, do you not feel that for some people the extinction of the species is irrelevant and that's why we head towards it like do you yes, not think that, like, i think that i don't think jeff bezos cares about like the future of humanity the species, exactly like, which is why like when he says like we need to get to mars i'm like no 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 no, no. you need who, to get to mars <laughs> well also like who told you that who whose press release did you read that told you that you need to say that because Jeff, like, let's be honest here. If, like, I mean, if he just gave half his money back, we wouldn't need to get to Mars. Fuck, even if he didn't give half his money back, if he just started some interesting things with his money, right? Yeah. Like, where are your interesting ideas for how to feed us? Although now we're drifting, right? Anyway, let me let me reel no, it back. No, let's talk, dude. Sure, like, sure, <laughs> but let me let me reel it back to the to the robots, yeah. right? I believe from my, the experiences that I had, the strange experiences that I've had about consciousness and, and being, that we. Do you think a robot can have consciousness? I, I think we aren't in aware enough of what consciousness is to ever fully understand if a robot does or doesn't already have one, right? Like yeah, I mean, people are currently rethinking, you know, animal consciousness and exactly, that as well. Right? So. Like, how do we know that salt doesn't have consciousness? We just say it doesn't well, because we interact with it like it's salt. Yeah, I mean, you know, plants experience pain. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So like, it's... There's a, there's what a is the level of consciousness that we like then you know say is consciousness yeah. right so so when we talk about building consciousness in, in androids and, and, and technology will it have a consciousness let's pretend instead of going will it have one let's pretend it does have one let's pretend how it will does. we treat it how will we treat it how will it treat us now the skynet thing is so interesting to me because i th- oh i think that's what's going to happen well well here's my take all right um, like I, I fully think that once robots become sentient, they will destroy us. I think that the stories, the narratives we tell ourselves and each other, are inoculations against and for things. Right. So the reason we told Terminator 2, the one we always reference, we always reference Cyberdyne Systems and Skynet. Yeah. Right. Every people who haven't seen Terminator 2 talk about Skynet because yeah. they know what Skynet is as an idea. The reason we even created well, that it's, narrative. Because it's the worst version of the singularity. Right. Yeah. But but it, it taught us. The f- it was the, it was the. F- it wasn't the first lesson, but it was, it was the last mass lesson we remember, maybe. Maybe iRobot was, I don't know. To, to not build robots like that, right? Um, and we keep telling ourselves. But they, no, look at Boston Dynamics. I, I'm not <laughs> saying that they aren't, right? What I'm saying is though we, we create these warning systems, right? And the warning systems aren't always effective in the way we want them to be, um, but they are effective. So I don't know, right? Believe in and knowing are two different things. I don't know that they won't wipe us out. Uh, I, I believe... I hope that we've told the story well enough, m- as many times as possible, and we're keep telling the story right now. You and I are telling yeah, the story yeah. right now, so that the Elon Musk, uh, uh, the fucking Jeff Bezos, 
of, of Joburg or whatever, of Cape Town, <laughs> sitting and going, maybe, maybe, he believes I'll lie on the narrative, <laughs> just well enough to go like, man, when I build robots, I gotta make sure that I don't build them like Skynet, right? Like, like I think, for example, um, I have a friend who's a developer, brilliant, genius, right? And the guy is making something that fundamentally has dangerous implications, but he's aware of them. And you know what he did? He built a kill switch into the thing, right? He built it in, and not like in the movies, they built yeah, a fucking kill switch, that right? That can't be killed. Right? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he built um, a, the smartest one possible because it relies on humans. Not necessarily good humans or bad humans, just on humans. Okay. And I can't tell you any of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's confidential and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is when he told me that, I felt the sigh of relief. But the thing is, not everyone thinks like him. And, like, and you literally look at Boston Dynamics, they've got yeah. backflipping robots now. Sure, but do they have backflip? Do we, do we not know about... And I'm not saying they, they, I'm not saying I know. I don't know. You're right. I'm, I'm also worried. <laughs> I'm also anxious about it. But let's just see, pretend. Let's, look, let's because here's the thing. I, I, when I look at the future of yeah. this world, I see a potential utopia. I see everything we could do with, you know, technology. And, I mean, just the stuff that we have right now, if we scaled it up... Yeah could feed everyone could clothe everyone could yeah, we already make more than enough food yeah exactly we already make more than enough clothes like <laughs> distribution yeah, we really do yeah distribution models are an issue um but yeah like eventually 3d printing mm. you know eventually we're going to be 3d printing food like genuine yeah, genuinely yeah, sure. we, we protein we can do it now but they're making food with proteins they're developing stuff in labs they can create shit out of nothing right like basically nowadays so that is you know going to be amazing we could provide for everyone robots could be helpless yeah. like that's what people are developing robots for is to help us yeah. you know to be assistance like you know like people with disabilities people you know old people who need like caring and help and stuff mm. you know those are jobs that at the moment are done by an individual person who has to suffer through a lot of mental trauma to look after other people yeah and if you have a robot doing that you know, providing a lot of that, you know, the carrier only has to come in, you know, once or twice a day to look after someone and stuff. And like, well, obviously the carrier is right there. The robot's the carrier. Yeah. Like, like and, and you know what it, sorry, but you know, like we, we need to think about, excuse me, we need to think about this. There is no uh, guaranteed solution to the human race, right? We no. kill each other. We, um, we maim each other. We have, uh, there are lots of us, a higher percentage than we know that have no empathy, right? Yep. Um, they, they hang out with you and me and they, they look like you and me but they're reptiles wearing our skin right <laughs> like and we've seen them you've met people like this I've met people like this yeah I mean I you don't actually mean reptiles but I get you <laughs> I mean you know I call them reptiles because it's reptile brain yep. our complex right yep. right it's, it's, it's the part that says survival 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 right the part of us and you and I have it and everybody has it but, but it's to different but degrees they, they, they live it they live it on a permanent basis it's like now, now if you interact with people like that you know that they are effectively dangerous not because they even know that they are and that's what makes them so fucking dangerous yeah because they, they don't even think they're dangerous they just think they're normal or special one of the two right they usually think they're exceptional exactly right <laughs> totally well we're, we're veering into psychopath territory now well right? that's, that's what I assumed we meant but anyway <laughs> sure I'm, I'm, I'm trying to include people in the spectrum that aren't just sociopathy as well yeah. exactly right sociopath narcissism all the stuff on the spectrum now we interact with those people they are fundamentally dangerous to us what can we do as humans, to interact with them in a way that allows us to save ourselves, um, and I don't mean save ourselves just to like just to survive, not just to claw around eating and uh, fucking and, and sleeping, but to to live our lives with all the things that bring us joy, with fucking you know half-assed coffee that we're yeah. drinking right now. And, hey, like, and you know what? Movies. It was still like I didn't enjoy the coffee that much, but it was still more enjoyable than not having a coffee. Precisely, that's why we drank it, right? Like we, why we ordered it in the first place. We wanted we wanted the kick. Um, and we're getting the kick, and it's not bad. You're right. I'm being an asshole. <laughs> but 
like for us to enjoy our life, to live our lives, not just survive, we have to teach one another the most valuable lessons about ourselves. We have to teach each other hope, love, um, and I'm not saying that those things are guaranteed solutions to life because I think this is where we veer into like the sort of yogi bliss yeah. movement bullshit where people who are actually psychopaths sit around doing yoga all day and then tell you about how it's changing their life for the better. And, and so, so you have people who don't have much going on in their lives then doing this thing and being like, hey, my life's amazing. It's like, no, your life was yeah. amazing without the yoga. Yo. <laughs> like but, but also, also, you know, you breathe enough uh, oxygen slowly enough, your metabolism is functioning <laughs> at the right rate, and you feel calmer. Yep. Doesn't mean that the world is now okay. You just feel calmer. You feel better about and it. I think the people, people who start out with a low un understanding of what's happening in the world, who then breathe a lot like slower, tend to forget about like, no, 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 there's still poverty we need to fight and there's still uh, hunger that we need to solve. And, but now yeah, they become more accepting of the world. Like exactly. Yeah. But you need to be more um, accepting of the world. But also unaccepting of the bullshit of the world. <laughs> because to truly accept something is it not to acknowledge that it's fucked up as well. Right? Yeah. So, so I just think that what's important is the narratives we share about the world need to be a mix. Right? They need to be a, a nice... And they are a mix. But like, I look at our current uh, way of addressing the world. And it's changing. So I speak about it now almost post-tense. But this, this current way is almost like this jokingly suicidal. Right? Yes. Like, so we have this thing. Uh, and well, that is because we're staring at a precipice. Like, you know, like. Sure. But, but, but like, why does a precipice have to be um, the point at which we um, see? A precipice should be the point at which we leap. And instead, we make it the point at which we fall, right? And, and for me, Well, it's some people leap and they, exactly. you know, go on to live great lives a lot of the time and, yeah. and what I'm saying is we need to tell people more often about leaping yeah. right like we have to tell people more often about like there's a card in the tarot deck called the fool right and the fool I remember the image in my the deck that I have at home the image is a dude wandering on a cliffside, looking up at a flower that he's holding in his hand and he's so distracted by the flower he's walking off the cliff yeah right and the, the idea of the fool is to say to be a fool not to laugh at the fool but to be a fool to be somebody who be willing to continuously gets distracted by the beauty of things to learn a lesson when they fall they are like whoa holy fuck I fell right because it brings them into an awareness that makes them understand that like maybe maybe there are uh, there is some beauty in the flower that I was staring at when I fell off the cliff um, and how do I bring the beauty with me how do I bring the flower with me on my descent into the darkness um, now that's the, how I tend to try and approach things okay. so I believe very very fucking hardcore serious in the threat of Skynet I want you to understand. Like, I'm, I'm worried about it. I think we got to get ready. I think, I think um, we're on the same like level here. Of we both have this existential dread about the future, but also have like this hope that maybe we can like you know survive it and not make that happen. It's and, the like, only solution. There is no other solution to, to staring death in the face than to say, "Hey, death." Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna see what that's about. Which is why we made up as humans. The, why we. Well, hope does last. <laughs> heaven and hell, right? We said either you, you fall I into I thought it God came up with that. <laughs> either you fall into it by accident, right? Hell, right? Either you go like, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to die, or I, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And then you die and it's horrible, right? Because you just didn't know it was coming. So you, you didn't prepare for it. That's what the idea is. Yeah. Or you prepared for it, right? Like as in you acknowledge it was coming and you said, I'm preparing for this. I know it's coming. It will happen one day. I don't know what day. I don't know what time. I don't know what moment. I don't know how. And then it happens. And I think you go in... So what you're saying is we shouldn't worry about Skynet. <laughs> I'm saying we should worry about Skynet, but we should prepare for Skynet, not worry so much that we don't prepare. Oh, right? no, you so see, I'm, I'm like... You see, I took... Uh, you see, I'm putting my own biases here because that's yeah. a thing like... No, because I was just thinking like when you're talking about heaven and hell there, it's like... 
Yeah, but you're not really <laughs> going to either. Like, I you're preparing for... But you're leaving either. behind heaven and hell when you die. You leave behind the heaven and hell for other people. You, yeah, you talked about utopia. But the, thing is, but the thing is, though, like, if you don't believe in heaven and hell, then you're fine. Like, that's the thing. Like, only you're way better. Like only off. if you take the basic, lame-ass, Judeo-Christian fucking version of those things. And yeah. Not, and not even Judeo, because there's no hell in, in Judaism. But, um, sort of. Yeah. There's, there's, like, there's Lucifer. There's no like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah but it's different, right? It's, 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 it's yeah. less... Ha- um, harsh. It's less, fi- it's less fire, like fire and brimstone. Like, isn't it just non-existent? It's non-existent. Yes. Right? You, it's non-existent, which I think is great. Which is also because the end, which is also the end result of the Christian book, by the way. Yeah. Like, people don't get that. They're like, you don't like you go to hell for like, well, Earth becomes hell right. for a thousand years, and then it's all gone. Uh, God destroys it all. Yeah. Anyway, so, so this but is, but I love my mythology. Yeah, so do I, right? I love this mythology. Yeah. It's, 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 there's a reason we came up with these stories and there's a reason we tell these stories. And if we can extract the real value from the story, it's not about whether you're literally going there or not. Yeah. It's about like what is the thing that is in these that is valuable to us as human beings now while we walk around on the earth and we do live. I'm not worried about whether I'm going to heaven or hell. No. Like I, I, th- th- those are abstract concepts that God will have to deal with. If it's a real thing, yeah, right. If it's a real thing, I, I joked my mom the other day, right, because I have a tattoo. My mom is not super religious, but every now and then she frets like a religious. Yeah, person. but it says don't get tattoos or marks kind for the thing. dead. You know, like for the sh- dead. Sure, but Islam. <laughs> that, that's the qualifier. Oh, oh Islam's right. different right. too. So yeah, yeah. So she looked. She was like, kind of like you didn't even ask me, kind of thing, right? And I had a tattoo for years, but whatever. We had this discussion, and I said, dude, you know. The thing you're worried about is that I will not get into heaven. I said, but also remember that the, on the Day of Judgment, there's an intercession where, where you get where to you talk speak to God <laughs> yeah. for me. I was like, you're not relying on your ability to intercede for me and my brother's ability, my father's ability, and my sister's ability. Please, all of you will pull this off. I'll be fine. <laughs> right? And I wasn't just being a cunt. Right? I wasn't just you're being putting faith in them. I was putting faith in them right? because I was saying your humanity matters to me. I believe in you. I love you. You love me. I know this will work out. Don't worry. Like, let's pull this off together. That's what we have to do for one another. Like, let's say that, let's pretend for a second there is a heaven and a hell. Those people are going to pull that off just fine. Trust me, I fucking know them well enough. Yeah. Right? My brother will pull it off single-handedly. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, if there's a heaven and hell and I land up in hell, then I'm going to be like, this is a whack system. <laughs> you better hope it's an Islamic hell because you'll get, eventually you get burned down to a crisp and you get taken out. Um, oh, is it? Nice. Yeah, you get taken and brought to heaven. But I was going to say um, something else about your utopian idea. So another short story that I wrote, right? And I revisited it recently because I'm taking a lot of my old work and republishing it on Medium because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up to, to publish some stuff and to, like in book format and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm just revisiting as I rebuild my, my identity in a sense. And um, there was a story I wrote uh, about the future and it's about this android named Cassius who comes to float down from like the heavens. Does he sting like a butterfly? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a float I'm like a, a butterfly, sting fan, like a bee. So, yeah. um, but basically, like, floats down, and you get, like, kind of a, a snapshot of what the future is like in that take. And I, there's a line in it that I wrote that says, um, of course, we, we always worry that the androids are going to, or the computers or whatever, were going to kill us and destroy us. But of course they couldn't, because we made them. Right? Like, um, we taught them about all the good I mean, things. That's like saying we can't kill God. <laughs> well, God <laughs> can't kill us because we created God. So, yeah. Well, yeah it, Actually, yeah. It, it's, it's my idea was, you know, if, if it's us, there's a part of us that's good and a part of us that's bad. If we keep saying... You see, but that's the thing. There's lots of us that's bad. That's why I'm I, worried I'm about it. I'm not saying we're not. That's I'm why I'm worried about okay, it. Look, I think, well, at the end of the day, what <laughs> I'm saying is worry about it, but don't let worry consume you and destroy yeah. you. Otherwise, you don't do anything about it. I mean, it's, but that's the thing. It's also like, I feel like it's going to be one of these things of like, 
with a lot of the issues that the world is facing at the moment, we are literally the frogs in, you know, the, the water and it's heating up around us and right, everything right. like, you know, we're aware of it and we're saying like, yo, things are fucking out, guys. Global warming, you know, this, right. that, everything else, you know, AI is going to take away jobs, automation, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we literally in the next five to 10 years yeah. are going to have a lot of shit in this world. Oh, yeah. We're, we're doing it right now. I know. We're living through, through like the biggest financial collapse in but it, but it does it the biggest historical societal collapse. But does it feel like that to you right now? Yes, busy it does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> we're busy drinking coffees in a coffee shop and the world's fine. But who says that like when Rome burned that the rest of Rome did not, like, did they feel it Literally, or do they feel it existentially? See, that's how much, the thing about it. How much do you think being in World War Two must have felt like? Like, like, what was that like? You know, when you know, we we, we rip off the keep calm posters a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Been, it's been mean to death. But think about the keep calm posters as a signifier of the fact that our society was in the midst of a collapse. And I say our society, I mean it's humans. Yeah, it was in the midst of a collapse that we didn't know we would come back from. We didn't know. We yeah. just hoped, right? So, like, let's say our society is now on the fringe of this collapse. It's 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 in this moment there were still people who went to work every day whose work was not war related yeah. as far as they knew anyway right like uh, there were people who, who made food there were Just people who didn't ever see a, a plane people who didn't ever see a bomb people who didn't ever hear the sound of like explosions or never saw a gun in that time someone somewhere didn't there's still um, there was still a war yeah. right so I think we need to get through to this idea that the world is collapsing right now as we live in it and we can uh, do a lot about it. And we need to do more about it. But we can only do more when we acknowledge that it is happening because then when we have our coffee, we're talking about what we're talking about, not, uh, not saying like, look, I'm gonna pretend nothing else is happening. I'm gonna pretend everything is fine. That's the most dangerous thing we can do. Yeah. Everything is not fine. But I mean, it can be fine. This is literally why I'm eating less meat and stuff now because as much as I take the piss and blah, 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 I'm yeah. like, yeah, man. <laughs> I think we're all going to die. <laughs> like, so I should probably eat less burgers. <laughs> like, well, well, isn't that kind of funny, though, right? Because if you believe we're really going to die, what difference does it make? But if you believe that there's some reason that you shouldn't just give up, which is what you're really saying, yeah. look, like, that's amazing. You're already doing the thing. You're already going like, wait a second. I've acknowledged death. We're all going to die. Right? What am I going to do about it? I'm going to live better. You're doing it. You're yeah. doing the thing. So I think all we're saying is that that's what humans should be doing. Um, but that's our advice. But cognitive dissonance is such a big fuck up though. Because like, that's the thing. Like, it creates this situation where you don't like... Uh, uh, you don't really see what the problems are. You don't like you, and when you do, like you, you create false. You create create a false reality. Like and then you're <laughs> like you're living in a whole different world, and you don't see like that everything's fucked up, or you don't see the reasons why or you blame them. Because like even me, like you know, when I was going after the vegans and stuff like that, right, right. you know, the thing that I hated was just all the misinformation. And it's not like that I thought that they were wrong or anything, but it was just that they were lying, like just completely and utterly you yeah. know and i hate that shit so yeah. i was going against it but at the same time i'm like yeah i agree with you like you're right but like just stop lying to but me like that's why we need you bob like that's <laughs> why we need voices all the time to be able to tell the truth because the truth is a complex thing i remember when i started studying when i left high school i did a year at damlin first right oh uh, yeah cool. now in the end i studied i finished my high school through damlin oh, okay cool yeah. all right so i did a year at damlin that was a journalism uh, diploma or a certificate yeah. one year um, and it was before I went on to do journalism at university. And I remember I had a lecturer named Gideon, right, there. And he was amazing. It's just really smart, confident, 
cool guy. I, I should learn to dress more like Gideon. <laughs> always dressed really well. Um, I'm always jealous of those guys <laughs> as well. Dude. I'm like, I could do it, but I would just look like a kook. <laughs> like I had a moment. I, I was. I had a period where I dressed really well. Um, I'm, I gonna think go, I'm gonna get back there. I think I dress well for <laughs> my style, yeah. like for the laid back, like you know, dude, kind of, like you know, just the the band guy, you know, the right, right. like. I think I wear the, the right stuff, <laughs> but you know, I see guys like wearing like you know, well fitted suits, and I'm like. That looks kind of nice. Well, you, you look like a puss, but uh, like a nice puss. I had, yeah, exactly. I had I had uh, a moment where like my shoulders weren't as big as they are now. Um, I mean, man, are never gonna. Then the like suit fit properly. I used to have shoulders like you. I missed them. Um, <laughs> I can't even get. Th they can't come back. That's the problem. You can't reel shoulders back in once they get big. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Gideon, you know, one of the first lectures he gave, he said, um, "What is the truth?" I'm going to tell you a situation, <laughs> and I know it's it's this is philosophy 101, yeah. which I always laugh at when people talk about. Well, it, yeah, critical reasoning, right? But the problem is most people don't get this lecture, right? They don't, they don't get, and I don't 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 study philosophy. Don't be one of those pricks. You can right? just read a book, exactly, like, yeah, right? or or get a good lecture that wants to talk about life. Yeah, but just read Sophie's World. I've never read that, oh, um, but I also never want to go there. Um, <laughs> but basically, like you know, he said, "What is the truth?" And and he was saying in a journalistic context, he said, um, "So a car accident happens and." A, a guy is injured and three people see it and a woman was driving the car and blah, 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 blah. He describes the how scenario. Do you, how do you determine the truth? Yeah. Right, and, he, and he says the truth is something that really happened and what everyone else saw and says they saw is only bits of it and yep. like obviously biased. And it's the journalist's sort of role, if they're doing their job well, is to cut to, through the bullshit. To, to find the truth, the overlapping facts that make the most likely story, right? So that's life. Right? We yeah. need all kinds of truth tellers. We need all kinds of truth sayers. The only thing we don't need, and they exist, these are the people that we refer to as bad people, are constant bullshitters. We all bullshit a little bit. Yeah. Right? We, <laughs> all, we all flavor it up a little bit. Oh, no doubt. Change the flavors sometimes too. But somebody who always changes the flavor, who always gives you a burger and says that, no, it's a pizza, that person is a fucking liar. And that's what we're always trying to pick at. Those people, of course, like are listening right now and going, fuck you. I don't <laughs> fucking do that. But then now they're smiling because they're like, oh, he's talking about me. Um, right? Like, and Narcissists. Yeah, totally. Right? And the thing about it is, it's like, um, maybe we'll never get rid of them because that's a part of our species. Maybe it's a part of our cellular development. Yeah. It's our survival mechanisms writ large. But our role as people is then, um, as, as truth sayers, if that's what we want to call ourselves, is we swerve in a direction, right? And we say, this is the truth now. And the truth is, let's say, for example, the truth is uh, veganism. It saves lives. Right? Yeah. Let's just say it's that. And we also telling that narrative. Now, we're aware of the complexity of that narrative. We know that it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. But we need this one. I we mean, need this one, right? And then that's uh, a totally fine narrative to so have. But, but hold yeah. on, right? We, we, we need this one, and then we get the narcissist eventually will we'll find the bandwagon. They will go with the, with the, with the direction of the, the herd is going because they're not that smart, but they think they are. Um, yeah. And then they'll, they'll, they'll start selling that lie to make money and to, to aggrandize themselves and get bonus and whatever, right? And they'll do it, and then, and then they'll corrupt it to a degree because it will become a corrupting narrative. You see, and that's the issue that I have with it all. Sure, but then what do we do? Truth is we swerve again. Right now we're like, oh, but do you know chicken is really healthy? Um, <laughs> and then suddenly they go like, oh fuck, and they hate us, and then they do it again. They follow, and and this is strangely enough, if you if you draw it, if you were to visualize it, it's the path that DNA takes. It's this coiling thing that swirls right and left and right and left and right and left. And so maybe maybe that's just what we do, and we have to do it. I'm not saying I have the answers, and I'm not saying we need to be well, too chill about everything. The thing is, it's identity and people like yeah. But when the world is telling us, when the when, when all the jokes are about how we should kill ourselves, when the asteroids coming in, we go, ah, I hope it hits us. 
when all the jokes are about that? Do we not need to now start telling jokes about how we actually love living and how life is great and I never want to die? And or then culture, counter culture, counter yeah, culture, yeah, counter culture, yeah. And like, do the narrative because, like, but that is the history of humanity. The narrative gets right. subverted constantly. Like, and, and do we think that humanity is getting better? Do you think that humanity is getting better? On the whole? On the whole. No. No, you don't. No. Not, I don't mean people. Watch out for this, right? No, but that's what I'm saying. Humanity on the whole, no. I think there's pockets of humanity that are doing a lot, and I don't know if they're doing enough to make the whole thing better. Right, so I have this thing, and I, you know, it's not backed up by fact necessarily, but I, I, I oh, well, look, it is backed up by some fact. I've read some stuff that basically says statistically, which you can't really uh, I know, I know, I know this thing. We're yeah. getting better, right? Yeah, like, I know this thing. Um, like, poverty is being decreased, and food security is yeah. better, now, and more education. Better, more I don't yeah. mean that we have achieved utopia. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, I'm with you. Because utopia is an unreachable goal. But also, like, I, like, I struggle to... <laughs> So here's the thing, when the norm back in the day was what it was, you know, life was hard, but it was the norm. You just, what we consider poverty now was yeah. everyone's way of living. Right. Actually, they lived better because they had stuff. Like, you know, like they had access to farming and stuff like that. Uh, nowadays, nowadays, people are living, you know, poor, but they don't have access to be able to even do of anything. they become reliant on the consumer mechanism, which is to get like fucking food dropped so off at your house. Exactly. So that's the thing. So whilst we say like, you know, poverty is being alleviated and this and that and blah, 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 and quality of life is better for more people and everything like that. Yeah. When you look at stuff, really though, like on average, is life better for people now? That's not that the argument like, I'm making. Okay. Because so, so for me, that's the thing. Like if we're going to say, is humanity better? I want it to be better for the like base level. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where like I, I, like I don't want to be an idealist here. You know, well, that's the thing. Like I want to say like we have to bring the bottom up before we can say humanity is like I, actually I, improving. I am 100% on your side with this kind of thing. Because I don't, I'm not a... I'm not to leave people behind and everything will be better, right? Yep. I myself am, am, am suffering in poverty at the moment, so to speak. The, the abstract kind of poverty, no. Clearly, we're sitting at a coffee shop and we're having a yep. thing. But, you know, debt and that kind of thing that, that comes with, with, with living. Um, but what I mean is, is do we not need to strive for the ideal of solving these problems rather than saying these are, like, rather than, than fixating on the crushing weight of the problem, now we have to acknowledge that there are problems to solve them. Yeah, I mean, but that's a, once again like a growth mindset, like kind of situation, and but not everyone has that. So sure, and, and I don't think everyone can have it. Um, I think what we want to achieve more than anything else is to hopefully impart the idea that we can save each other to each other, right? Like that's what will actually help us as a, as a people. Like that's why I don't trust Ayn Rand stuff. <laughs> I, I, I I I dip in now to the to the. Uh, uh, Bezos, I dip into the mask, you know, whatever. Yeah. But like, uh, I don't trust them because I don't think that what they're saying is what they believe. I think what they're saying is what's on the press release. Yeah. Right? They say like, we need to get to Mars because that's how we're going to save each other. I'm like, no, no, lies. You want to get to Mars because there's money, investment, you want to be off this world Ego. where everything goes to shit. Yeah. Exactly, right? All these other reasons. Just to be the first person to yeah. do it. Because we know, we can see you're a fucking wolf. Yeah. Right? Like, we, we, we know. Right, like uh, we know Elon Musk, the hobo of Silicon Valley, <laughs> is still the guy with emeralds in his pockets. Right, like literally, um, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 but but this is the thing: is like those are not the people we need to look to for our, our survival narratives, right, or our life narratives. We need to look to to people who are talking about uplifting the people at the so-called bottom, right? Like, um, because I think what happens is like when I talk about ideals, it gets mixed in with the press release of a Jeff Bezos who tells me we need to go to Mars. I yeah. don't think we need to go to Mars. Fuck Jeff Bezos. I mean, I, I don't, don't think we need to, but not yet, but I do it think... It'd be it, nice. There's, here's the thing. We, 
for the future of um, humanity to exist beyond this, uh, well, beyond the lifespan of our sun, we have to explore space. Simple. Like we, sure. the sun is going to explode, and that is going to bring everything that we have ever known to the end. But I think so we will be getting ahead of ourselves, right? For two reasons. Well, it's going to happen in a long time, but well, like, not just that. Also. Why are we so obsessed with the propagation of our species? Because except, that's what life is. Except in that we are reducing uh, 7 billion people to one person, right? Like, and we keep doing this thing where we're, we're, like, we're not very good at looking after one person as individuals, right? Yeah. I'm not very good at looking after myself sometimes. <laughs> now, we're barely good at that, yet we want to talk about the survival of the species. That, my friend, is a press release. It's not true. Right? It's not true because what does it mean? What is this abstract concept of looking after the species? Well, like, do you not have that innate like um, ego attached to it? Like, but I'm talking about it in the context of going to Mars and shit. Yeah, I'm not talking about it in the context of like I want to look after people, right? And this is why I differentiate no, see, between like, I've humanity got, I've de- I've and people. You see, I've definitely got that ego of like I'm a human being, and you know I want my species to carry on forever. Like I want us to experience everything. I want us to develop and explore space and know everything that yeah. there is to know. Like but but I w- I, what I'm really interested in is how do we do that? Because we can do it. We can do this. Yeah, but we can right? do that how after do we, we fixed everything that's here first. Even while we're doing it. Like if Jeff Bezos, one man, could feed everybody, which he can, yeah. like, let's say, even though his money's dead, but let's just say he could, right? Theoretically, he could initiate something to, to, to make it all work. Yeah. Right? At least think that way. Why is he also striving for the same thing as Musk, striving to go to Mars? Why can't one do it and another do something else, right? And well, people will yeah. tell you it's competition, and competition is healthy, and blah, blah, blah. And, and listen, I'm it not a fucking be. wolf, right? <laughs> like, I'm not a fucking T-Rex. Like, there are also Stegosaurus here, and there are fucking Triceratops. Um, What's weird is competition always leads to become, like, leads to monopolizing, which is hilarious to me. Exactly, because it, because it is fixated on one thing. It is fixated not on the survival of the species, but the survival of the individual, yeah. right? It's not about saving lives. It's about surviving. Now, I'm talking about the idea that I think it's great that we can go to Mars. I think we should. I don't think we shouldn't. Yeah. But I think we need to stop sticking with these binary arguments that are given to us by these men. Uh, and they're always fucking men. But yeah. these men who themselves think in binary... It's and weird though, it's men who probably read some uh, woman uh, sapphire writers and like, uh, you know, like Ursula like uh, probably like totally. uh, had so much to do with their thinking. But, but like, did they acknowledge that she was a woman in their reading of her, uh, her <laughs> novel? Like, do they think that it had some kind of impact? Maybe, who knows? Yeah. But the main thing that I'm getting at is um, to be truly solution oriented towards uh, more than just surviving, more than just scraping by. Because... Because that's what Jeff Bezos is telling us. When he says go to Mars, he's not saying, let's go to Mars, it's going to be fun. He's saying, let's go to Mars, we need to scrape by. <laughs> the sun is going to kill us all, and we better be ready. And I'm going, no, 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 wait. The sun's not going to kill us for well, a long time. I mean, also, time. like, the Mars thing doesn't stop the sun thing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Sure, but also, like, yeah, it really doesn't. No, right? th- the Mars, Mars is the first step in yeah, my mind, but yeah. But my thing is, is also, like, listen, stop going to fucking rocks in space that are rocks in space. What can you do? How many Einsteins can you feed that would be Einsteins? Exactly. They're Einsteins right now, right? But they're in the township. They're in the ghetto. Um, they're, they're living in the desert. And they're never going to and, like, be tapped into. Imagine, let's say, there's, let's say there's only 100. Let's say there's only 100 fucking Einsteins. Let's like in the whole 7 billion, right? Yeah, in every but, generation. Like but <laughs> let's say there's nine, 99 of them are all sitting right now doing really abstract things. Uh, no, not abstract things, sorry, really practical things. Like um, fucking feeding a child. 
um, stealing from a, a, a like a store, like all these like really base things that we would look at and say like mm, the poor, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Like we should be cultivating as much Einstein in ourselves as possible because because there's m potentially more to gain from an Einstein than there is to gain from a uh, Bezos. Yeah. Bezos, of course, being a survival-oriented creature, and again, guys, he's a microcosm of everything. I don't know if he's a bad guy or not. Maybe he's the best. Who knows? No, he's he definitely like a bad guy. A, he seems like an <laughs> asshole. He, I know he's a bad guy. Look, when a guy crafts himself to look like Lex Luthor, you know there's some problems. All right? but yeah, but, but uh, who do you think is going to be Lex Luthor, him or Elon? I think Elon is, is, is more Lex Luthor, but then wouldn't I think that because a guy like Bezos is so good at hiding. Yeah. Uh, can I, wait, let me, let me, yeah, let me pivot on. off that. Let me pivot cool. off that, right? I was thinking about this very recently. Um, I was thinking about when I was a kid, 80s comics that I used to read, like old Superman 80s comics and 90s comics. Lex Luthor was a businessman. Yeah. Right? And the way he positioned himself, and he was even drawn to look a little bit like a Trump figure. You know, he, was, he, he wasn't <laughs> bald. He had the receding red hair and that kind of shit. Um, I don't remember this, uh, this Lex Luthor at 80s, all. 80s, 80s stuff, right? Wow. 90s he goes bald and, and that kind of stuff. Um, Damn! But the point I need to read eighty stuff. Then yeah, I, I, yeah, like I, he's, he's in fact uh, John Byrne, who is a horrible human being. But John oh. Byrne, who drew him and, and wrote him for a bit in the in eighties, says he's fashioned him off the Trump. Um, and Interesting. Also, so this, this Luther of that era is a uh, just not as stupid, obviously. We know he's the supervillain, right? We know he's Superman's arch nemesis. But the public doesn't. Exactly. He presents himself as nothing but a good guy. All right, like but a good businessman. But that's th but well, that's also the to be the duality to Superman's, you know, two identities as well. Sure, but like, sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but then what happens is, over time, that character gets reshaped by a new writers coming on all the time. So he goes from being that to being a bit more obviously the supervillain. A bit more Kingpin-esque. Yeah, exactly. Then, then you find out, no, no, he's actually a super scientist pretending to be a businessman, right? So like, you know, he's a, he's a mad scientist, but he's yeah. dressed in a suit. Then they go like, no, he's, he, he becomes president for a while. Um, oh, yes. And by the time his presidency ends, Lex Luthor is wearing a purple and green armored suit with yes. kryptonite fists yes. and, and flying around like cackling with Superman's cape ragged and tied to his suit. My point is that exposure to Superman made, made Lex Luthor, I was going to say Jeff Bezos, made Lex Luthor more honest. Right? Like he couldn't, he could, he hide himself less and less the more he had to deal with the guy who hid himself less and less. Right? Like, because Superman is more Superman than he is Clark Kent in a sense. Right? Yes. Well, but... I mean, he's become that. Like, well, but the, the Clark Kent I mean, is a balancing thing. It, yeah, it, it makes but he is. But that, but also, don't you think that Clark Kent is his like identity as well, though, because that's how he was brought up. Yeah, yeah as yeah. Clark Kent, it, so it, he doesn't see the difference between them like we do. In yeah, the same way that all people are like that. Now, like the Lex thing, the point I'm making is that Lex's dual identity, his Clark Kent and his Superman, one was a lie. Right, the, the whereas, businessman whereas one Clark, was a lie. Whereas Superman is both yes. those things. He really is a farm boy who wants to be a journalist. Yeah. Right? Like, he just also happens to be a dude who can punch you and crush your skull, which he doesn't do because he's nice. But, but Lex is a guy who wants to punch you and crush your skull, but pretends to be a guy who wants to shake your hand. And that is what like, Superman is always trying to bring out in, in him. Yeah. He's not trying to say, like, you're a bad guy, even though he's also saying you're a bad guy. He's trying to say, look, man, look, man, if you want to punch people and crush the skulls, like, just tell them. So, super right? so what you're saying is Superman is to Lex Luthor what Joker is to Batman. Uh, except I think that Batman is honestly a more healthy human being, really. What, um, then, than Lex or... No, no, no than Joker. Oh, um, yes, but so what I was saying is Joker's more Superman in that situation because Joker's always trying to bring out Batman's true self. Well, except not. Joker's always trying to bring out what, what, well, he, what himself he believes is Batman's true self is, which he believes is, is the madness. Yeah. But he's wrong because Batman proves him wrong every day every, by every not time. being mad. Yeah. Right? By going, no, no, I, 
you want me I to mean, say he that is I'm mad, an insane but <laughs> oh, sure, but not in a bad way. You Batman is going, you want me to say that my parents died in front of me as a child, um, and that I went And that's nuts, why I'm this way, yeah. Right? And he goes, No, no, you don't understand. I'm this way because my parents died in front of me as a child and I decided not to go nuts. Don't <laughs> you understand? I've decided not to be an asshole. Yeah, you see, but I, 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 kind of ag- I kind of agree with the Joker on this one, though. Like, he has gone nuts. That is a nuts thing. And you're, you're channeling it in a positive way. But it's all, like, the pathology of, like, uh, Batman is well, I, I think hilarious. You've, you've but identified yeah. through that comment um, how I am and how I, I primarily see the world. Yeah. Not to say I have bad days and bad moments like anybody else. But, but like the killing joke isn't going to break you. Like <laughs> it came out the year I was born, it's highly overrated. But it's got beautiful art. Oh, I disagree with you. I love it. But <laughs> You know what? There's, I was reading... I just bought this. I right? love the ambiguity, ambiguity of the ending, but yeah. But I, I just read this, and I thought it was very funny. I read... Um, this is the fucking... That was just the harshness reading. of it, but yeah. I, I read Grant Morrison's Batman run from the 2000s. He wrote Batman for seven years. So I put, picked up the first deluxe edition, like big, they're, they're recollecting it in this huge hardcover, uh, every issue that he wrote. Like, so I picked up the first volume of that, right? And I read it. And it ends with a two-part story where it's Batman trapped in this machine that's making him go through all his memories. And there's a, like, it shows you how the Joker changes over time. You know, yeah. At one point he's a murderer, then he's kind of a, a prankster. Well, there's like he just stops murdering people. There's more than one Joker. It's not good, right? <laughs> for, for, the, for the listener, right? Um, like basically, the one guy changes personalities all the time. Yeah. And at some point, he's a crazy psychotic murderer. And there's a bit in the book where Batman is talking to, the, to Alfred about trying to figure out what's happened to the Joker around the Killing Joke period. Yeah. Where, if for anyone listening, the Killing Joke is where the Joker just goes full on murder, crazy psychotic for no fucking reason. Wait, hold on, right? I wouldn't say no reason. And, but ba- and Batman <laughs> says. I don't understand. It's just wanton cruelty now. There's not even a punchline or a joke. It's not funny. Now, that's how I feel about the killing joke. I'm like, he's not the joker if there's no punchline. But there was a punchline. Yeah, it was fucking horrible, so it's not a punchline. The pun- that was the thing. Like, the, the punchline came from Batman. That's what made it, like, better. Like, that I was, that was the, what, like, I enjoyed about that. And, I mean, I love the killing joke because it's... It both explains the joker so much better than anything else before in his psychoticness, in his absolute will to inflict his own pain on other people this this at least allows me uh, an opportunity to talk about comics and why i like making comics well i was w- like hoping we'd get there because sure. we haven't even discussed what you do yet yeah yeah sure. <laughs> we've spoken for like that's why i'm glad you introduced me yeah well i will in the beginning yeah but i mean it's also it's cool because i love this conversation because as a comic book writer of course these are things you think about uh, as a person i like to think but yeah yeah but no i know as a person but you create stuff that is in this realm. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Like these are like when a lot of these ideas came to me, like for the first time, was probably in comic books, you know, or sci-fi and fantasy. And you write those things, so I can right. understand like why you would do that, since these are concepts and ideas that you love. Even though I brought them up, but like, no, I know sure, that they're things that you also appreciate. But how did, so how did you get into comics? Like, um, there was a comic in my house as a kid. There were two. I remember my brother picked them up probably when he was a kid, like some secondhand thing in Toady. They still have a stamp on them. Um, and basically, it was like the Superman comic. Um, it was like action comics, you know, I don't know, 425 or something. Yeah. And it didn't even have a cover. It was like already a shredded piece of crap when I got it. I still have it somewhere. Yeah, um, I've got, bunch of, I've got yeah. so many comics like that still at home. Totally. I need to right? get them away now, actually. Um, and that Superman has like Superman on, on the first page. He's flying through a helicopter. He smashed through it to grab the bad guys. He's holding like a dozen dudes in his arms. And he's flying straight at the reader. Um, and it's just like that, that, that was my, my proto-comic. That's my mythology, right? 
Um, one of the first comics I actually got was the death of Superman, the Doomsday one. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that um, just because it was the paperweight thing where CNA bought out this Italian comic store or whatever and had thousands of comics that yeah. you could buy for five rand. And that was I one of the first ones I picked up. I used to go dig through those bins, man, yeah, back dude. in the day. So I, I would pick up comics in that way. Like, I would pick up the, the straight issue. You know, yeah, like, every now and then you get two that match up. Yeah. But most you, of the you time... Get yeah, <laughs> you're picking up something that was like part three of a story. It ended up to be continued. But that's, you also, know how it but ended. that's what's dope about comics, though, is that like you don't need the rest. Yeah, like you like it's nice. Yeah. Like it's awesome to like follow the story. But each thing is literally a full story. Exactly. Every time, most like, of the time, when most they're of the time, yeah, when they're good. Like right? you, you can end on a cliffhanger and still have everything contained within. Totally. Like and I used to love, like um, I used to love getting that as a kid. You know, you want to know what what happens next, but your brain fills it in, right? Exactly. You thinking you about the story, and because you have to wait about. a month, like if you even get the chance to wait ever a month. again. Like yeah. Before I ever like found any comic stores, it was like sometimes you just go, "Well, I wonder how Spider-Man beat Electro after Electro got that." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm just gonna have to guess. The thing you do know, you're though, still using imagination. Yeah, yeah, but the thing you do know is, you know, Spider-Man's gonna win. Probably. Like, you know if he loses, he's going to win later. Yeah. Right? So the point is, like, you know that the loser is never a lose. It's always about how. It's always about, like... like which is why I did enjoy, though, when they started killing people, like, in comics. Sure. Which, But then, of course, what is the solution? They bring them back. They bring them back. Yeah, that's... Right? Because these narratives exist for us to experiment with a world that we don't live in fundamentally, but something that is true about us as human beings, which is we do believe in good and evil, even though we pretend we don't. Yeah. Right? Like, And in fact, like we said, we encounter the, our complex reptile brain people all the time. And they're the closest thing we have to the experience of evil, right? People who are pure survival, who will do anything to survive, who will do anything at anyone's expense. See, no, you see, I don't, I don't think survival is evil. Like, I, th I get you where you're saying that, like, and I get the survival instinct, like, because you're going reptilian brain there. But I think, like, it's not survival, it's, um, there's maliciousness. Well, oh, yes, like I'm differentiating between yeah. survival and life. Right? Yeah. Living and survival are the differentiation that I make personally, okay. which is a rightly thing to do. Right? I, I don't mean yeah, yeah, wanting yeah. to live is a bad thing. Right? But I, the di differentiation I make is this. Um, the reptile brain person, the, the lizards among us, to use a Spider-Man villain, right? <laughs> are, are, are One of my faves. For, for simplicity, right? The simplicity of eat, fuck, sleep, propagate. Right? Sure. More of me. They are people that fundamentally, when they have children, for example, see the child only as an extension of themselves, not yeah. as an individual human, yeah. right? Um, they don't go like, oh, my child. They go, ah, me, deep down. Yeah. Whether they're using the words my child or not doesn't make a difference. Now, that to me is what I call survival, right? A life that is rooted entirely in the survival complex of the human of experience, the right? See, in the, in the, sorry, but the animal part of it. Yeah. I'm not saying that the word survival, I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. I know what you See, mean. See, because right? to me, like, I would draw that more to ego than anything, but yeah. 100%. It is ego. I'm just, I'm renaming it, right? Okay. And then living, living is the part of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like living is the part of us that is about um, sharing stories, that is about uh, learning about things, that is about um, not acquiring knowledge for the sake of acquisition, but acquiring knowledge for the sake of wonderment, that is about like, and it's not always happy. Living is also sad, yeah. right? Living is filled with anger and complexity. All kinds of awful things happen in life. But living is about going like, sometimes I want to eat a donut because I like the way the donut looks, <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to eat a donut even though I like the way it looks, where survival is. I will eat only eat the donut because it's what I want. And it doesn't matter if I'm going to take it from somebody else to get it. I want the donut. It is mine. Right? Yeah. There's a weird way in which on the, we talk about ego. There's a weird way in which the, the differentiator between ego and, and being conscious is a differentiator between understanding that the world outside of your hand, outside of your reach, yeah. is a different place 
to what's inside of you. Yes. Now, survival, as I call it, what you call the ego, ego-based, yeah. is a life that fundamentally, they probably don't even have the words for this, but fundamentally is about thinking that everything is you. Yes. Right? Um, they talk about they. I say they, but I mean the <laughs> good they. They talk about um, uh, in, in sort of neuroscience and looking at pediatrics and children. There's a phase of a baby's life when it is born where it does not fundamentally understand that it is not its mother. Right? Okay. It believes that everything is it. I don't know anything about this. Right? Cool. Because it's... It, why would oh, it, because yes, yes, yes. Why would it understand anything, anything yeah. other than that? For one thing, it literally was its mother up yeah. until like, you know, a couple of days ago. And then, it, like, what does a baby understand about it anything. being a baby and you yeah. being a person, right? So it thinks everything is it. Then it begins to understand over time that mother is separate, yeah. right? That mother can go away and come back. When a, when a baby first experiences a person leaving the room, oh yeah, separation the baby anxiety. does not know that the person can come back. They experience it as death. Yeah, like, right? well, that's why like, it can create separation anxiety and stuff like yes. that, like long-term. Like, yeah, from over time, if in a healthy... We talk about the idealistic, healthy home. Uh, what a, a, a baby acquires is an understanding that when you come back, you can come back. In other words, when you go, you can come back. In other words, you might not be dead. Right? Oh, yes, yes. But but it so it's got the, you're talking about the positive sides of this. Sorry, my what, bad. What it first experiences, though, is, is probably, I would guess, it thinks you will come back, right? Like, you leave, you will come back. Then it experiences you leave, you might not come back, which is, again, a repeat of the death thing. Yeah. Then it goes, oh, maybe you might come back. It's constantly oscillating between these zero and one, zero and one, right? Like, over and over. Now, I think, I think, theoretically these egoic people that we, we struggle with so much and I'm understanding them not to give them a free pass. They're still cunts, right? <laughs> but I can't help but understand people. Um, it's what I do. But I think that they might have a problem understanding that the, the first part hasn't either like something left and never came back or something always smothered them and always gave them attention. One of those things... Maybe both of those or things. Or it is just their, right? the same upbringing that they had. Like, you know, their fathers were also like that. So they just mimic that behavior. Right. Like, you know, like... So, so what happens is, is they are now in a situation where they don't understand, fundamentally understand things are separate from them. Right? Like, things can leave and will come back. That's why they're so possessive. Yeah. I use this as a... You know, a lot of them are very possessive. And also why they're so needy and why they're so angry when you do something that they don't want you to do because they can't see you as... I think a lot of women are like imagining like people like they, they dated in their lives. Totally, like, totally. Because, um, I mean, you're just describing an abusive, like, you know, exactly. guy like they're like... And when I... When I again, I, I, I have to like make this point. We can fundamentally understand somebody and why they are the way they are. Understanding them is not... Uh, Excusing it. Quote, unquote, them. curing them. Oh, no, because yeah. excusing, curing, right? Like... Um, Excusing it? Yes, I agree. It's not excusing it. They're still doing what they're doing. Fucking leave. All <laughs> right? Like, if we're yeah. talking about abusive relationships. Yeah, but I mean... Leave. But you're dealing with your own issues there. Like, you can't sure, just sure. leave. Like, I, like do, No, no, of course. Do, do what needs doing, but, like, understand fundamentally that the person is not necessarily being cured by your ability to understand them. That's yeah. why I say cure, not excuse. Right? Like, your ability to understand something does not make it clearer except to you. Yeah. Sometimes it does. But that's an exception, <laughs> right? So let's leave that now because I don't want to start yes. getting into relationship theory here. Yeah, also because I don't think we're experts on that. <laughs> I mean, I can only talk from my own experiences. <laughs> yeah, but you are fairly uh, much an expert on comic books and cartooning. And like <laughs> you said, uh, yeah. you you know got into it from a young age because you found a comic book that your brother might have had. But what made you want to create comics? Because um, you said you studied journalism. Right. When you were doing journalism, 
was comics in the back of your mind or were you always like, I'm going to be a journalist? Um, I, I think uh, there's this way in which the world is taught, uh, was taught to me. Let me speak about myself. It was taught to me where the impossible dream was impossible. So <laughs> it was never like you were going to write comics. You were never going uh, to work in film. You were never going to write stories. It was something that you wanted to do, but your dream was unacquirable. Yeah, that's why I was right? a bartender until 23. There and you I go. didn't, like I only started Durban as yours when I was 23. My, I have to call myself a writer forever. Yeah, I remember saying to my mom when I was going to start studying, I was like, maybe I should go to film school. And I'm really glad I didn't. But I said, maybe <laughs> I should go to film school. I still kind of want to. And my mom said, you know, are you going to find, are you sure this work? Are you f- sure this work? And the reason why is also her horizons had been um, plucked from her by the society we lived in, right? Yeah. There, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for people like us of our fuck for black people there wasn't a lot of opportunity for black people there wasn't a lot of opportunity for people for women there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a lot of people so her world had been made smaller by the world and so she makes your world smaller because that's what she knows exactly without intending to I know my mom is not a malicious person so it was completely by accident I mean I think Um, all of us have that experience with our parents right But then, um, because of the way that I am and the way that she also made me, I, I, I fundamentally get frustrated with the limitations of a small world. Yeah. Um, and so I always have to imagine myself a bigger world, and then I just can't go back. I can't go back to the small world. I can't stay on the moon once I've imagined Mars. You know what I mean? Right? So I, okay, I, Elon. Right, exactly. Right? So, so the thing about it is I... I fundamentally had to pursue what I wanted to pursue because I couldn't help it. So now with comics... I didn't start out thinking that I would write them, but I was always writing. Always. Throughout high school, I, was, I used to write fan fiction. Right? <laughs> cool. I used to write the, the, the nerdiest of the nerdy thing you could do. That is, is the, that is the nerdiest yeah. of the nerdy. Because writing in itself is kind of like an internalized art. Like you could write for yourself and get so much joy. And then writing fan fiction is like writing your own Wolverine comic. Yeah. That's pretty nerdy. Right? That's pretty self, self-indulgent. But it was cool that I got to do it because when I was hanging out. Yeah, it's good practice. (laughs) It was fucking good practice because I still, I think I still have that hard drive that has like all the old fan fiction on it. I don't want to read it, but it's there. Um, Don't you? I mean, maybe because I like to revisit old work to see what was good about it and what was bad about it. How I've grown. Yeah, you see, like I see nothing good in my old work, so I just don't. (laughs) Like fair, like you got to know, right? Like I, I think. I do see some good in, in what I, I found, I, but I'm always looking for the good in things. Yeah. I'm always looking for the aspiration in D- things. The only thing I miss about my old writing was not giving a fuck. <laughs> 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 I, I, that's good. But now, so, so with, the, with the comics thing, there was a comic, I can remember the exact comic that made me really get it. And I actually wrote a letter to the, the comic and it got published, so I, I can now reference my own letter. Wait, um, you've got a letter, like what? I like got multiple letters in multiple comics, but this one is the good one. The other ones are like, what do you mean? they're teenage see, letters. See, that's like a weird <laughs> dream of mine. Like, yeah. I got a letter published in blunt, but I always wanted to be like, <laughs> I always wanted to be like the letter. Like, I sent letters as well, like overseas. Oh, no, like, in the age of email. Yeah. I'm talking emails. Oh, no, like, I like literally, letter, letter. like, I literally like wrote letters and like, I would send them to Mad Magazine oh, and shit. also to, like, Mad didn't really print them, but I yeah. would uh, send them to them. And then, yeah, also like just comic books and stuff yeah. that I enjoyed. No, like I would write. I got, I got <laughs> in. I got into like I was printed in the issue of She-Hulk um, because it was a good She-Hulk book. Let me tell you, um, I was printed in, a, in an issue of Ultimate Fantastic Four, and I really wish I wasn't. <laughs> it was a bad book, and I said some weird things that only a teenager would think. <laughs> um, I was, and then I was printed in Casanova, the book I was going to talk about now, um, which is by a writer named Matt Fraction and an artist named Gabriel Barr and Fabio Moon. Really, like one of my favorite books. And the thing about Casanova, it's not widely read. Um, it's not widely known. It's a really weird, obscure book in a lot of ways, but it made the careers of the, the people making it. What is wait? What is the vibe? Um, it's a psychedelic, like spy, 
sci-fi thing. Okay. So basically, the, the basic premise, I used to work in a comic store, so I got pitches for these things down. <laughs> um, the basic premise is Casanova Quinn is, the, is a great, like the greatest thief in the world, and his sister is like the greatest spy in the world, his twin sister. And um, she dies, and Casanova is basically, something is placed inside his jacket that he finds later when he's like uh, at a funeral, and he hits it, and it sends him into a different universe where he's the greatest spy in the world, and she's the greatest thief in the world. And what, he's, what happens is their dad is the head of the greatest spy organization in the world. So in the new universe, he's been recruited by his dad's greatest enemy to pretend to be a spy when he's actually a thief to steal secrets from the organization. <laughs> and that's just the first issue. Um, it's that sounds like fun. Favorite things, right? And it's still always in progress. It's like the slowest moving, it barely comes out book, but it's meant to be seven books at the end of it. And I'm, it's oh. on book four. Wait, how many, like how many years has it been going for? Dude, I think it first came out in 2005. So what, he's releasing like one, well, they're releasing they, like one dude, book every few years. They barely release one issue a month. Like it's like nuts, yeah. Oh. But like they're breaks. It, it's broken into, into seven volumes that are named after the seven, seven deadly sins. Oh, so, okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, but the thing about it is I wrote them a letter and I said this in the letter. Um, there's an old, I think it's Rolling Stone, quote about the Velvet Underground, the band, yep. uh, from the 60s, right? I've heard of them. You, you <laughs> know them, but like a lot of people might not. And well, Lou Reed, about, man. The thing about, the, I hate Lou Reed, but I love the Velvet Underground. Oh, the wow. The thing about Velvet Underground is they said in possibly Rolling Stone, they said it's a band that, that um, not many people heard, but the people that did hear it really start, like started bands. Everyone who knew it wanted to make music. So you think Casanova just started Casanova's a whole lot of people? that, right? For me, it was that. And I say that, I was like, I knew when I read it that I could write comics because the way Fraction, the writer, Matt Fraction, wrote comics was the way I wanted to write comics but never knew I could. I think that's like Bo Burnham for me, even though I started doing comedy before that. But yeah. like, just watching him was just like, oh, that's, I want to do that. <laughs> like, well, it's like, you know, you... you or a version of that that's my own, but yeah. yeah like As a kid, you watch movies. Um, and when I watched Spielberg... I, like, I love the idea of becoming a director, but you think you have to make Spielberg. Yeah, yeah, it was like I would watch Chris Rock and be like, I would love to do that. Yeah. But like, I could never do Chris Rock. But also, but like, you, then you seeing Bo Burnham, I was like, ah, I could do that. But That's you could, thing. like, in a hypothetical sense, in an abstract sense, get to Chris Rock if you went through Bo Burnham. In the yeah. same way, I could get to Spielberg, but it wasn't until I saw, like, Paul Thomas Anderson that I went, oh, I can make films like I want to make. Exactly. Films. Or, um,. I look now at a contemporary director. I look at Alex Garland. Okay. He made Annihilation. Yeah. He's wait, didn't yeah, he, um, he? He wrote a book as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he wrote yeah. The Beach. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but I've got and the coma. Like a book. I haven't read the, uh, the it's coma. a book about a coma. Yeah, I've got yeah. both. Yeah. I, I've read The Beach, um, and then now he's a director. So he made uh, Ex Machina. Uh, oh yes, 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 yes. Now, when I look at his filmmaking, I go, Oh, someone's making films the way I would like to make films. Right now, that's a silver bullet. I mean, not a silver bullet. That's a bullet in my career because it's like saying you like you want to make films like David Lynch makes films. People are just like, that's not gonna sell. Fuck you, <laughs> right? Um, it's not that I don't want to make films like Justin Lin makes Fast and Furious films. I love pop film, but the thing about it is, I know the I know what it takes to make a Spielberg film because I've made it's like something small. Yeah. Right. I've made a commercial. I've made a music video, and I look at those things and I go but I have to aspire to something big, right? You don't, don't, the worst thing you can do for yourself as a, as a human being is to look at a Chris Rock and say, I could never be that. Yeah, you right? see, because I, you, I like, do have these issues continually, like to this day, like where like I, tell, like, 
undersell myself constantly. But but what's nice is you you still looked at Chris Rock and you still started doing comedy. So Eventually, you, sure. But whatever you might say, some part of you still wanted to be Chris Rock. I know when I think about comedy, I always think about George Carlin, and I go, if I do stand up, I want to be George Carlin. I mean, he became the guy later. Well, him and Bill Hicks. Yeah. But like, as much as I love them both, they're also just assholes man like sure, that I, sure. like that i wouldn't want to be like like but but you don't want to literally be them this is what yeah we, exactly we often fail at right like my, my favorite writer is grant morrison who primarily writes comic books yep. now i don't want to literally be grant i had a friend did this to me in varsity where he was like you just want to be grant morrison and he said it with such derision and i thought to myself i i was hurt by it, but i didn't say anything to him about it um it stuck with me though because i it occurred to me it was like what is so wrong with wanting to be the best thing that i could think of Right? And yeah. I don't mean Grant Morrison's the best person I can think of because he's a human being. He shits, he's probably shit to his wife, and he's probably a cat. Right? Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe he's actually everything that I think of him when I think of the good things about him. Yeah, it's just too many people have fucked that up for us, man. But, 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 but we're not supposed to aspire to the literalism. Yeah. Right? Ideas. Ideas are what we're supposed to aspire to because. Exactly, because ideas, ideas are like can't be fallible essentially. Yeah, well, also, they when be, ideas yeah. turn into reality, they always decay. An idea is so beautiful and so powerful and so unique that it can never be the reality. So, think about we go back to Superman. Superman is the first superhero, right? Two teenagers made him up in 1936 or 1937. First came out in 1938 in Action Comics um, number one. one. Before yeah. that, there were no superheroes, right? It's weird that it was Action Comics number one and not number two, hey? <laughs> <laughs> But the thing about it is, they came up with this idea that fundamentally, people always criticize and critique for a lot of reasons, and maybe those reasons the are valid, man, right? Yeah. But, but the idea can never be, I mean, the idea is always going to be better than the execution of that idea, right? In other words, there is no way that the Superman in their minds ex exists, but the more we refine and refine and refine and refine, maybe Superman today is something closer to what they really wanted, deep in their souls, right? Like, maybe. Okay. And like they just could never say it they could only say what they could say they were limited by how they could draw by the drawing of the excuse me, the drawing of the time i mean well this goes back to what i was saying earlier that everything's just an extension like and it does like you know humanity is just building and that's why i think the robot's just going to build on what we did but like yeah. but that's it which like, is why we have to tell them good things about <laughs> us and them i mean weirdly enough i guess comics are like that in that like it is it mirrors society in that you know like society does just keep picking up things from what came before it you know right, we continue right. the narratives before us and comic books are like that too you know new people pick stuff up and they read the old stuff and you know, they come in with other things from other comic books as well yeah. and they create new narratives and they extend the narrative like you're saying with Superman Superman when he began you know he's a pretty simplistic character yeah. and now I mean I still feel Mr. Plastic but <laughs> he's well, been written very well these days but that, I think like about he's it, got a lot more to him I actually I think a lot of the time he's written really poorly but I think that he's simplistic in ways that matter so like the simplest things are often the most complex things I mean yeah right? sure and when I say that what I mean is um, when I say good good sounds like a very simple thing but it's not it takes effort energy hard work continu to continuously achieve goodness yeah right what we consider to be good is uh, almost unattainable. A lot of the time, yeah. Right? It's always a choice. Like love. Love <laughs> is always a choice. Uh, we keep thinking it's not, so we keep thinking, you must love me no matter what. No, fuck you. Try harder. Right? <laughs> be lovable. Right? And be loving. And then, then love. Oh, then, it's, then it works. Right? Be good and be uh, somebody who wants to receive good. Then it becomes easier. Yeah. But not easy. Just easier. Right? Like, I think that's what the value of something like Superman is for me, for example. Right? It is uh, the idea that we could th think up a good thing, a good man, 
what, a, what would a good man look like? He would do the right thing. And what is the right thing? It changes over time. Yeah. But the right thing is, in the first Superman comics ever in 1938, there are no supervillains because he's the first superhero. No, he was just helping people. So what he does is, you know, like a woman's getting hit by her husband in the apartment next door to him. Something that probably happened to these real teenagers, Jerry Siegel, Joe Shuster, who wrote the, and drew the comic. Might have happened to their family or right. might have just been in their neighborhood. Oh, what does yeah. Superman do? Kicks down the door, walks in, grabs the dude, throws him out a window into a river, right? And goes, he literally says, you know, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? What would a good man do? Now, I think it's valuable to have that kind of idea because I don't think I could ever be a perfect man. I can't be Superman. No. But I can try. Sure. Like, I get you. I just fucking hate Superman. <laughs> so enough, it's like I've got enough. my little bias there. Sure. But I, it's, it's I weird. I like Batman highly overrated, but I love Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also find Batman highly overrated and I don't love him that much, but I also, I got love for bats. But like, you know, so this is like uh, Superman to me is just like a boring Captain America (laughs) (laughs) well the the thing about it is this I use Superman but it doesn't have to be Superman it's just the ideology it can be it can't be Deadpool (laughs) no but like I mean there's there's arcs where Deadpool's striving for goodness but there's very few of them in a a world where um, if the Joker really existed we should murder him we oh, should kill him without a doubt right, because he's a mass murderer yeah right? fuck he kills, that man. he kills thousands of people all I the mean, time I think we should just kill Jeff Bezos but whatever <laughs> like, <laughs> now, the thing about it is in that world in the world where that is the reality Deadpool exists more in a world that's like that Okay. So what he <laughs> is is not it's not about the murder, right? Forget about the murder, right? What it is it's about the sense of humor in the world that is awful. Yep. He's a guy who finds the joy and the humor and the weirdness in a world of murder. Well, also just killing random innocent people, but sure. <laughs> but, but but I'm putting that aside to find the thing, right? The, the, the juice, joy. the juice, yeah. and the juice is that he finds humor in a situation that is inherently not humorous. Yeah. In other words, he gets through a day that is terrible. He's kind of a depressive superhero. Oh, Deadpool, yeah. hor- horrifically so. Exactly. He kind like of his life sucks exactly. completely. And yet he finds a reason to joke around and still get up every day. Well, I mean, that's what's so good about him. Yeah, I mean, he is like a comedian. Like, yeah. he's the comedian. Like, you know, like the comic book character. Like, yes. he is that just taken to like the extreme. Yeah, uh, which is why, you know, I always go back to Alan Moore as being such a depressive fuck. Because <laughs> it is a case of like having a character called the comedian, the comedian in Watchmen. Yeah. And going, yeah, but the joke's on him because the world's too serious for comedy. And you're like, ugh. <laughs> uh, really, Alan? What did you prefer, the comic or the movie? Oh, obviously the comic. Really? Yeah. Uh, I preferred the movie. The comic is, is, a, is a beautiful comic and the it's movie is an average film. I disagree. I don't think it's average. I think it was <laughs> underdeveloped. Like, I, think, I don't I think, think Zack Snyder is a good, is a good director of film. I think Ooh, that he is a controversial, good cinematographer. Agreed there. Um, I, I mean, Batman vs. Superman proves that. I mean, it barely proves anything. But <laughs> it, it proves I mean, that films can be made. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> cinematography and that's like, it, it, it's got a feel, it's got a tone, it, like, it's Zack Snyder. But you know the thing about it that, that he fundamentally lacks for me as a storyteller is that he's not a storyteller, right? And yeah. what I mean is he doesn't take, understand that, that all scenes no matter their context, exists within a continuum where you put them next to each other and a story develops. Whereas he develops each scene as it looks on its own. He's like a commercials filmmaker. Exactly. Right? You, and I'm not saying all commercials filmmakers are like this, but what I mean is he clearly makes each scene to work as an individual scene, but there's no consistency. So is his Batman a crazy man who's kind of a torturer or is his Batman a good guy who's doing the right thing? You can't tell because it depends on the scene. Yeah. And he can say, but that's complex. You don't know if he's good or bad. And I'm like, listen, Zach, I, did ph- I didn't do philosophy, but I know you did. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean like uh, and like no you can do better than this aspire see I just much preferred the ending <laughs> like I think I really preferred the movies like yeah conclusion and just the uh, way it, like fair I, enough. I did like um, yeah 
what, like, what is taste? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like, I think I have this far-reaching, great, uh, like, brilliant, genius taste. And I do believe it exists. And yet, uh, here we are and we connect on a fundamental level. It doesn't matter if we disagree about Watchmen. Oh, no, not at all. But it's yeah. fun to talk about. 100%. Like, you need to pee, though. Cool. And actually, we wa- like I think we're pretty much at the end. Oh, there. really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. like I don't know how long we've been talking. We've chatted for an hour 16. <laughs> and like I feel like I don't even... I haven't talked about what I do. And I really <laughs> want to mention some stuff. Okay, we'll take a pause here. And then we'll get into that. Because I was just going to say we could maybe do another one sometime. But let's do that. Okay.